So if you've watched Big Little Lies, you know that this show deals extensively with rape and sexual assault, and these are things that are triggering to you. This is probably not a podcast that you want to listen to. Big Little Podcast for episode three of Big Little Lies. I'm Teresa, and I'm a Jane slash Bonnie. I'm Rebecca, and I'm a Jane slash Madeline. I'm Carolyn, and I'm proudly a Madeline slash Renata. You're getting bitchier with it every time. <laughs> Renata is really I'm seeping embracing into your it, soul. For sure. Um, this is our spoiler warning. If you don't know already, we're going to talk about the episode. We're going to talk about future episodes. There is no safe place here. Please go watch the entire season before you listen to this. And or with, just listen to this and instead of watching yeah, it. just skip over it. <laughs> we are definitely as good actresses as Nicole Kidman and Reese Witherspoon. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, and so today's recap's coming from Rebecca. Okay, so episode three is entitled Living the Dream, and it starts off, Amabella's birthday drama is in full swing, and Renata is freaking out because, like, four kids can't go to the birthday party, which really doesn't seem like a big deal at all, but there we go. Some of them are going to see Disney on ice with Madeline. Renata's not happy. Perry is also weirdly upset about not getting to go to Disney on ice, and he will literally choke a bitch over it, so that's a little concerning. Uh, and somehow he's still a little bit less nuts than Renata, who is literally offering to buy everyone tickets to actual Disney World, and when she doesn't get her way, she flies into an extra rage, offering to pay Snow White to sit on Ed's face and have Dumbo take a dump on Madeline, or Madeline, as I should say, coming yeah. from Renata. She uh, yells about yells at Madeline so she's going to be dead in town, but no one really likes Renata, so her attack, uh, she's got to go through Avenue Q. That's her, her main route, is she's going to take down the play. The birthday party arrives, and in case you needed any further proof that this is really about the parents, Renata and Bonnie are humping on the dance floor, and according to one talking head, erections were on full display. Uh, the limo is on its way to Disney on Ice, and everyone's having a cute little sing-along to uh, Fleetwood Mac's Dreams. The scene definitely feels a little bit like an excuse to get the director's favorite song into the show, but hey, this is Big Little Lies, anything goes. Abigail, the asshole daughter, is in some kind of trouble at school, which leads Madeline uh, to get called in by her teacher. So Abigail can essentially tell her that she wants to move out of Madeline's house and in with her dad, uh, which does not go down well. Meanwhile, uh, Celeste and Perry are seeing a therapist about their volatile relationship, which is the understatement of the century, uh, that it's just a little bit too passionate, according to them, which we all know is not quite their problem. Uh, they're both lying through their teeth, and Perry's insecurity is definitely on full display here. He's very worried that Celeste will leave him, and I think at this point also worried that his abuse is going to be exposed. Uh, Christine, as we're calling this t-shirt because we don't know her name, and Christine seems to fit, who is the messiest bitch in all of Monterey, decides uh, that she's going to assign the kids a family tree project, which raises two important questions. One of Ziggy's parent paternity. And the other is, like, how thirsty are white people to have Native American ancestors? <laughs> it seems like they're pretty thirsty. So this all leads to Jane eventually telling Madeline that she was raped by Ziggy's biological father. And suddenly all these scenes we've seen of her running down the beach in a dress make sense. She says that the rapist's name is Saxon Banks, which sounds a little bit like the father from Mary Poppins. Um, and the night the gun makes another appearance, but this time she's hallucinating a home invasion. And it's very clear that Jane should not have a gun. And that's where we end up. Thank you, Rebecca. Um, okay, so let's start with Disney on Ice versus the party. 
First of all, there are so many kids at this party. Why is Renata freaking out about the, like, five who couldn't come to it? Like, it is the craziest birthday party I've ever seen. Yeah. I, I mean, I think at this point it's more like, it's the battle of, like, winning, of having everyone want to come to your thing. Um, and uh, she somehow, I mean, I guess, like, Madeline, remember when Madeline claimed that, like, Chloe's networking, Chloe's like the queen bee? It appears that she really is, because that's what Renata is super freaking out about. She calls, like, basically begging and offers to buy everyone tickets to Disney on Ice if Madeline will stop this nonsense and let Chloe and these other kids come. That she's that desperate to get Chloe at the party is... Ridiculous. Maybe she just wanted Chloe to DJ. I mean, that could be it. But, I mean, Renata... So, here's an example of, like, Renata just being this, like, crazy... I've seen this. I've actually seen this. I had a friend unfriend me, not just on Facebook, but, like, in real life, because I didn't go to their wedding, because I was in a show. Like, I was actually, like, in a play that Mm -hmm. happened. Like every day, was it Avenue Q? Yeah, no. Uh, I was in a play that happened every day for like a month, and I, I didn't. You don't like you're not gonna have an understudy do your role, so you can go to like a college friend's wedding. Mm-hmm. And these people unfriended me because I didn't go to their wedding. So I guess like I have encountered Renatas in real life that this this happens. Like people just go so nuts. They're spending all this time and energy. I mean, I guess a wedding is bigger than a six-year-old's birthday party, but not in Renata's world. It's not wild. in this world, so it happens. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I just don't know. So when she called, before the party actually happens, and she calls up, um, she calls up Madeline to try and beg her to come, you kind of see Amabella in the background, and it's pretty clear that Amabella doesn't really care that much, that she's completely, whatever anxiety she has about this is just coming from Renata. Like, Renata's freaking out about it, so she's like, oh, no, no, Chloe can't be here. Like, and she's the problem. And yeah. At that point, yeah. Chloe wants to go to Amabella's birthday and party. And Chloe does want to go. Chloe doesn't care at all about Disney on Ice. So, mm-hmm. I, once again, you've got these two mothers that are forcing their daughter's hands mm-hmm. against their will, and it's a bummer. There was also just this one thing that really, really bothered me Mm -hmm. in the scene. They're having this phone conversation, and both of them are on landlines. Yeah. (laughs) These people are so rich, and yet they're still using landlines? Like, that bothered me to know. Yeah, I noticed that, too. I was, it was, it was... Do you know anybody that still has a landline? I have one right now, but it's because I live in the woods. Okay, that's fair. And uh, reception is spotty. But, so there's also, to that point, they're having this conversation, and... Madeline is hysterical in this scene because oh, she's just like responding as calmly and coolly as possible to Renata's freak oh, out. I don't think that's gonna work, unfortunately. Yeah. It's so great. <laughs> oh, it's so uh, passive aggressive and wonderful. Yeah, uh, and the then the Disney on Ice uh, limo ride though is is extra too much. It makes I, I mean it is literally just it's an forced excuse. fun. It is at its worst. Like, if I was in yeah. that limo, I would feel like I was being, like, fun was being shoved down my throat. Mm-hmm. It's like, it, it's just not being forced to sing Stevie Nicks while swaying together. <laughs> There's a lot of animosity to Stevie <laughs> Nicks in your voice. I, you I, what did Stevie do to you? I, no, I, I don't, I just, that song is just so overplayed to me. Well, my problem with that, with that scene is just, like, they didn't want to bother to come up with something that actually happens in the limo or any kind of dialogue or anything. That, but they want montage. you to know that there was a limo ride. 
and this is how they got to Disney and Ice. So we'll just throw a song in, and everybody can sing along, and then it's over. It yeah. Makes no sense. But it also didn't make sense that, like, the kids would know that song Well, at this point, we've established these kids have the musical repertoire of 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds. Yeah, I don't know. I just would have believed that, like, sing-along to be more fun if it was Like something. Baby Shark or something? Or, or Let yeah, It Go? Yeah, yeah. Like, or, yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Something that felt, like, a little bit less uh, contrived for me. That whole limo ride, you know, it, it felt like a bachelorette party that you don't want to be at. Yes. But, like, yes. there are also kids there, and you're going to Disney on ice. Like, <laughs> that is the seventh circle of hell. Yeah. <laughs> Over at the party, uh, Bonnie and Renata are dancing, grinding all up on each other. Apparently, boners are to be seen all around the place. And it's like, why is this even yeah. happening at a kid's party? Yeah, like, this kid's party. Okay, so my favorite thing at this kid's party was, like, the Spider-Man guy with his, like, joint. mask off mm-hmm. having a cigarette. Yeah. No, it was like, a joint. Like, in plain sight. Oh, a joint? It was oh, definitely even better. a joint. Um, yeah, just, like, smoking in fucking plain sight out of his costume. Um, and then there's, like, somebody in a princess costume. I don't know. I mean, I was confused at first. I thought that was just a kid dressed as Spider-Man that was just casually, like, some six-year-old smoking a joint. I'm like, this Yeah, town, the both man. of those costume characters felt very, like, low rent to me yeah. for somebody who was spending this kind of money on a party. Mm. Like, they sort of looked like well, all she the hired them on Craigslist. Disney on ice. All <laughs> yeah, the I guess. Actors. But, um... It, the And the dance party that the parents were having was outrageous. Like, when Renata gets into the center of the circle and is like, Woo! I'm dancing at my kid's party! And they're all, like, cheering her. She's embarrassing mom. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty embarrassing. And then Bonnie comes out and does her... You know, little floor routine, mm-hmm. which was also kind of embarrassing. You know, I was, I was embarrassed for her. Bonnie's yeah. too cool for that. Yeah, and more so. Zoe Kravitz is too cool for that. Yeah. It's like this is the daughter of Lenny Kravitz, who's but being forced to dance like a wiener. Also like, established to me that Bonnie and Renata seem to be quite good friends. Like interesting. Well, it yeah. did because like they were dancing together at the party, and then like when they were cutting Amabella's cake. Oh, yeah. Bonnie is, like, like, was right like, there, like, yeah. playing with the like, cake. Like, what's your and wish? I was like, what? Yeah, weird yeah. Thing. I was like, Bonnie, I, I didn't know you were, like, this involved. Yeah, so it, to me... Is it a sort of uh, the enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of maybe, thing? Maybe. Maybe like they, like, Madeline's trash-talking Madeline I've together, been personally but... victimized by Madeline Mark <laughs> Yeah. <McKenzie. laughs> um, so... Oh, so fucking Renata, right? <laughs> Sorry, I who we've talked about half the things on my little bullet point list here already, so I had to find something we didn't already talk about. Um, so she says to her gross husband named Gordon, uh, a social slight can cause more psychological harm than a choking. <laughs> what the fuck, Renata? Like, no! But, so, <laughs> that line, I, like, I, that was a what the fuck moment. Mm-hmm. Like, no, I'm pretty sure getting choked <laughs> is really psychologically damaging. And yet, then we have Celeste mm-hmm. in a later episode telling a therapist, like when the therapist is like, uh, your husband is physically abusing mm-hmm. you. Like what? And Celeste is like, well, I guess I, I care about, you know, my lifestyle and what people think. And that's essentially yeah. the same thing that Renata is saying here. I didn't so, have that reaction to that line. I no. honestly thought this was one of Renata's more self-aware moments because these physical things that happen, you know, it's an isolated, localized event, whereas, mm-hmm. like, psychological trauma, you don't even know, you know, how deep that goes, how long it's going to last. I think that, you know, her, and obviously Renata has been 
in her mind, victimized mm-hmm. and bullied by these other moms, and that's been a psychological trauma that's clearly made her batshit. So I think that she's speaking for the first time from a real place of pain and authenticity, and that's, you know, it's the first time I really started to understand Renata's character was this episode. I was like, yeah, this woman is dealing with a lot of hurt. And yeah, that we're like she has been the one that's like yeah. socially. I mean, and she says that a lot in this in the no, show. She, she says like you know people just resent like me, me yeah. and yeah, for sure. And she this this having throwing a great party is to her as much for her mm-hmm. and getting oh, people over so to her house to play yeah. with her as just much like as to play with her daughter. The choking of Amabella has a lot more to do with Renata's you know personal psychological slight than it does with Amabella's physical harm. I mean, mm-hmm. Amabella is clearly being hurt but she doesn't also I feel like Amabella might bruise super easy yeah Yeah. she's definitely anemic yeah I I don't know I don't know I feel like there might be a lot more (laughs) physical she's a little Romanoff yeah she might have an iron deficiency she's quite pale (laughs) I think my reaction to this line is because so much of this seems cooked up by Renata because if she had just said to Amabella like without the pitying tone in her voice if she said oh honey i'm sorry like most of the kids can come but some of them already had tickets to disney on ice she would be like okay and just go on with her life that the whatever like upset there is around this is created entirely by renata like amabella doesn't seem unreasonable in that she couldn't understand that like oh sorry they already paid for their tickets they can't come to the party like next time but Renata turns it into a like huge social ordeal that it didn't have to be. If she was a better mother, she would have just been like, "Oh, sorry, honey." Like, yeah, it's just like she's willfully teaching her daughter how mm-hmm. not to cope with things. Right. I don't think it's willful. I think that she's again, it's like she's, she's functioning mm-hmm. from a place of trauma and hurt and not thinking, you know, mm-hmm. in these far steps. Like she's not realizing. I think Renata bullies her own daughter more so than anybody oh, else yeah. really does. Yeah, so. for sure. And I mean, Renata's just like not thinking. She's lost. I had said before that between who would I rather get into a fight with was Renata or Madeline because I said that I would rather fight with Renata because at least she has reason. But in this episode where she is losing her fucking mind over this party, she's also lost all reason. She shouts at Madeline on the phone that she's going to get Snow White to sit on her husband's face and then maybe Dumbo can take a squat on yours. Like, that is the woman, that is somebody who has just completely lost their Unhinged. fucking mind. And yeah. also, you're dead in this town, apparently. Like, which doesn't seem Over like she even has the, yeah, she doesn't even seem to have the clout in town to really pull that off. I mean, these hand. death threats are yeah. definitely, like, trying to add to the, right, to the kill. drama. It gets like, a point where it's a little tiresome mm-hmm. and a little hyperbolic. It's like, okay, how many times is somebody mm-hmm. maybe like... I'm going to, you're dead in this town, or I'm going to kill you, or something like that. I mean, it gets a little tiresome after a while. You're like, okay, guys, we know. Someone ends up dead. Especially when when you feel with this episode that you're like, well, I feel like Renata definitely, like, she has so much going on with this birthday party. She probably isn't also the killer. (laughs) (laughs) She was so busy planning a child's birthday party with a... With a high uh, Spider-Man mm-hmm. and a busted-looking princess. And I think a high husband, too. Would yeah, he takes a hit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, speaking of death threats, let's move on to Perry and Celeste and their trip to the therapist. Yeah. So, I was watching this with my boyfriend, and he called this one of the most intense therapy sessions he's ever seen on screen. What did you guys think about it? Well, yeah, so we've talked about Sopranos comparing the show to, like, an HBO show that kind of started all the HBO shows, in my opinion, is Sopranos, and uh, Sopranos, a big part of Sopranos was the therapy sessions between Dr. Melfi and Tony Soprano, and 
Dr. Melfi, while being one of my favorite characters, never seems like a particularly great therapist. No. <laughs> in that, like, in watching the show, she would sometimes, they, they would talk about things and she would get him to open up, which maybe was the best you could do with someone like Tony Soprano. Mm -hmm. But this therapist... I actually feel is really getting in there mm -hmm. and you are seeing her kind of peel back these onion layers of these two people um, getting to the real like stink of it and you really uh, I, I actually like this therapist and I like how she's helping and I like what she says and what she suggests and I um, I think like you really start to see that in this episode and you can see uh, how she is going to help Celeste get to a place where she needs to, where mm -hmm. she, she needs to be. Um, so I agree. It is, it is intense. And, um, these scenes are long and they're quiet and they totally have a different mood than the rest of the show. Mm -hmm. You know? We also hear from Perry that, like, he's afraid of losing Celeste. And that's what all of this is about. Which is probably true of a lot of abusers that like this is all coming from their mm -hmm. own weird insecurities about things and um and, but they both kind of push this idea that they just have too much passion in their in their relationship like what are we supposed to make of this i mean it's obviously they're using the passion excuse mm -hmm. as a way to justify the ongoing abuse i think you know you're perfectly correct in your assertion that abusers are often abusing because of undisclosed psychological mm -hmm. trauma but to me it's also like I picked up on the sense that Perry was super worried that this was going to get found out like mm -hmm. it wasn't just losing Celeste it was his reputation his, you know because he comes up mm -hmm. and thinks Perry's like this cool guy mm -hmm. that you know loves his wife and they have all this hot sex and I think the idea of his big little lie being exposed mm -hmm. terrifies Perry and it's the first time we really see Perry afraid yeah. I mean, he's usually the he's one He's afraid of getting caught, yeah. not afraid and are I think apologetic. I think he's afraid of losing Celeste, but I think that goes hand in hand with afraid of being exposed. And mm -hmm. the therapist clearly is a good therapist and sees right through him. I mean, this therapist is looking at him like, really, dude? Like, yeah. I know exactly what you're about, and I hate you. So I, I love the therapy scenes. They're really hard to watch, though. It's Yeah, is, that's what I'm saying. This like, is the first episode where shit really got real. I mean, you have, you know, the story of Jane's rape is divulged. You get Perry and Celeste on a therapist's couch. And it it was one of the few where I had to really take a break after it. Because mm. it, it hurts to watch these people suffer in this way. It really does. And you're invested now. Like, we have feelings for these characters right. in mm. episode three. So it, it's been... This is the hardest episode so far, I think, to watch. So there's also... We sort of see Celeste again sort of complicit may not be the right word, but she's sort of um, participating in this like sort of bullshit line about their relationship and trying to press it. And she go and she does that for quite a while. And is this sort of is this groundbreaking in terms of like probably how close it is to the truth of most relationships like this? Or is it kind of offensive, like, to portray her as, you know, being a part of the problem? No, I, I actually think that this is groundbreaking in that uh, it, you really see that conflict of she does, there there's, she admits that, like, part of it she she is into, Mm -hmm. You know, she is sometimes into that sex that they have. And you can see that she is afraid of losing him because she doesn't want the children to be without a father, even if it means that the father is like this monster, at least he's there. Mm -hmm. And you also see that she is afraid of being 
like a single mother in like every sense where she has to like take care of everything. She'd be alone. She'd have no partner. Like other people would judge. People would know what happened. Like you see all these like layers of what a woman facing this would be thinking and feeling. Like is the evil you know better than the evil you don't know of being outside of this relationship? Um, and so I think that that is actually really well done because a lot of times uh, it is easy to look at something like black and white and being like, you know, the, the, a woman who is being abused at, at this level would just want out. Mm-hmm. Uh, this kind of gives you that insight of it's more complicated than that. When I it's think, somebody that you love and have this history with, um, it's harder. I think we're fixating too completely on the physical abuse, but like the emotional abuse that's gone into this too, where Perry has made her believe that she can have no life mm-hmm. outside of him. She's had to give up her career. Yep. She's not allowed to socialize without his permission. She So he's created a world, this entire world around her where this is it. There's yeah. nothing outside of mm-hmm. this. And I think that sometimes the show doesn't really go so far in, I mean, though we had this line from Renata about this psychological slight is, you know, often more damaging than a physical choking. And I think that what the show doesn't see, we don't see so much in Perry and Celeste's relationship is what has gone on for years of their marriage, which is him leading her up to this codependence. Right. And now she doesn't know what the world looks like without Perry. Exactly. And that's exactly what emotional abusers want to do. Do we think the therapist is on to his bullshit from the beginning? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and this therapist gets him, reads him she, from the second. Yeah, he sits down. which is again why I think like she is such she's she is a great therapist, and I think that's why this is so intense to watch. Yeah, because like she you, knows. Yeah, you get the sense that this is an incredibly competent woman who can like hone in. Like from the second they sit down, and Perry, she's like looking at him the way Perry's body language and yeah. everything. Like, mm-hmm. of course, we know that he's a monster. And we Celeste know. is in the corner of mm-hmm. the couch. She's kind of cowering. Yeah, Perry's leaning forward on his yeah. knees. Like he's really like dominating the frame. I mean, I think this therapist—that's any good therapist—is going to pick up on body language, especially a couple's therapist. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, looking at people's body language is often more telling than the stuff that's coming out of their mouth. Yeah. So, this is also a big episode for Jane, who's still got a gun, and this time it's under her pillow, which is, seems <laughs> uncomfortable. Like, yeah. yeah, that yeah. would not be my way of sleeping. This is why sleeping. you can't sleep well, yeah. Jane. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you mentioned the family tree project, which leads to Ziggy, of course, asking more questions about his dad that Jane is not ready to answer. Which seems like something she should have anticipated. Also, why is this teacher still such an oblivious a-hole? Like, stupid Christine doesn't know that, like, in modern day, like, that's sort of a tricky question to have people answer. Like, I mean, I get it's Monterey, and most people probably know. I have a weird, tricky family life like this. I am 28 years old and have a 24-year-old brother, a 4-year-old brother, and a 1-year-old brother, Mm -hmm. and the 4-year-old just recently had to do a family tree exercise, and (laughs) ours had all sorts of spliced branches, grafted branches. So they still do this? Yeah. I think that that is... It was awkward, too, Mm -hmm. and it it created this whole conversation in the classroom about our family dynamic that, you know, I certainly Mm -hmm. wasn't involved in, and Mm -hmm. I'm hearing this secondhand being like, well, I don't really want a bunch of like yuppie Westport moms talking about like my parents' divorce and my father's subsequent remarriage to a much younger woman. Like that's that's not something I'm thrilled about. But you know, I guess, and I guess, there's actually a really important comment here about like lineage and families mm-hmm. and the past informing the present because you've got a, a relationship like Perry and Celeste with these two little kids that are clearly 
privy to some pretty serious abuse. So that idea that the family tree is extending into these little kids and they're all kind of picking up on their parents' shit. Chloe's mm-hmm. a little micromanager. Mm-hmm. Ziggy is, you know, seriously got some unresolved daddy issues that are manifesting in some profound confusion. Even, like, absent Sky seems to, like, reflect. Yeah, so I was wondering if the, uh, with, like, Sky and Chloe, did yeah. they, like, make on their family tree, like, little, like, yeah. sideways <laughs> things that showed that they, they were... they do a joint one? That they were, like, half-sisters? Yeah. Um, I don't know. <laughs> it was really, like, let this teacher know how uh, incestuous everything in this town really is. I, I don't know. I just thought that, again, this was this teacher just being, like, oblivious mm-hmm. about... Uh, that this can be a complicated thing for families, but now apparently teachers just, they do. Still happens. They so are doing this. I'm here to be the living proof that the family tree exercise still happens, and it's still not great for anyone, so. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, and I'm as far as, like, this raising the issue for, like, Ziggy uh, wanting to know who his dad is, I guess Jane maybe thought she could buy more time before having to talk to him about this. Uh, clearly, like, he has asked in the past, and she has given him sort of answer. I mean, he's young, so I can understand why she thought, like, okay, we're going to be able to sidestep this for a while. Mm-hmm. But, um... I mean, this is ultimately a plot device. Like, right. they need the conversation about Ziggy's parentage to be had one way or another, and what's the easiest exactly. way to do that? Exactly, is a family, family tree, tree mm-hmm. for sure. Which is why I felt a little lame. Mm-hmm. It's like, there could have been... a more creative way for this to come out. And she conveniently forgot about it till the last minute, so then Madeline has to come over and help her, which leads to the conversation of, I don't know who his father is, he's a rapist, that's just all I know. And that's how we figure out that Jane was raped at some point, and all of a sudden, all these snippets and flashbacks we've seen throughout the other episodes of Jane running down the beach with a torn dress and wandering off into the water start to make sense. And why she feels she needs to have a gun. Um, Under her pillow. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, so here, oh, I've already sort of told you this, but when we originally watched this show, I kind of saw the answer coming from, a, like, I saw the resolution to this particular plot line coming from a mile away, and I forced it on Carolyn so that someone would know that. <laughs> and I had no clue. Yeah. Like, she, she's referring to the fact yeah. that, like, she figured out that Perry was going to be the one mm-hmm. to get killed. and Well, specifically that he was Ziggy's dad. Right, and, right and that he was yeah. Ziggy's dad mm-hmm. and that this would all come to a head. And so I'm wondering, though, if, Rebecca, did you have any inkling the first time you watched it? The first, this was the first episode where I had any inkling of it. And then the minute the body language of the rape scene, which you only see in really shadowy forms, but Mm -hmm. it just, it was that Perry stalking Mm -hmm. that I said, there's just no way these two men carry themselves Mm -hmm. the same way. And then I started thinking back. I'm like, Ziggy looks exactly Mm -hmm. like the two little blonde nameless twins. He has the same sort of like charm that Perry has. Mm -hmm. And then, obviously, that becomes very interesting from a narrative standpoint. Like, has Ziggy inherited the violence mm-hmm. of his father? Well, and not even knowing that it's Harry, that's something that Jane is very yeah. concerned about. Like, right. you see that for Jane throughout this whole... And she desperately wants to think, like, at one point she literally says, she's like, I still am holding out hope that it was just a misunderstanding and he's not mm-hmm. a violent guy and it was just mixed signals and not, like, the actual monster that... I'll admit that didn't is. occur to me when you said that when we were watching this originally together and you said, like, Perry is the dad of Ziggy. He is the man who raped uh, Jane. And he, I, I hadn't put that together. I, like, didn't even think of that. And then I was, like, so mad that, like, you had yeah. guessed that and potentially ruined it that I was, like, refusing to hold on to that. Um, but it it does uh, – it, it that is that is kind of the it, – it is sort of a really – 
big connection for mm-hmm. these women to have. Like, right. we have another set of half-siblings in that class. <laughs> and it also raises... Jeez, I forgot about that. The idea of, like, you know, we were talking about why did Jane come to Monterey to begin with, like, and Perry just happens to live there. Did she know he lived there? Like, well, I... Well, she so, still thinks it's Saxon Banks. She doesn't right. know it's Perry, so she in, in watching this with all of that, like, Jane coming to this town, like, why did she move here... In rewatching this, that is something that I decided was that Jane, knowing that Jane's rape had taken place at a, in a beach, or in a at a beach at a hotel, like a place that might be near Monterey, and um, I kind of came to the assumption that this is why Jane came here. That she is looking for something. She's looking for answers. She is hoping for resolution on this. Um, I feel like these are the flashbacks we're going to get in season two. Like, there's only so much mm-hmm. material they have surrounding mm-hmm. the story, and we haven't seen, you know, how Jane and Perry met up. We, mm-hmm. And I think that they'll probably dive into that, because they still have, you know, Alexander Skarsgård is a very talented actor. And I'm sure well, and we do know that he is, uh, he, on, the cast. He is okay. on the cast. So I'm for, sure that they're going to get into yeah, that. Yeah, so there are definitely flashbacks. flashbacks for Which will be interesting to see, because, I mean, I... I have a lot of questions as to how, you know, Jane and Perry cross paths. You know, mm-hmm. I can't imagine Jane is hanging out in a bar that Perry's well, in. Well, in know? the dress that she's wearing in the flashbacks, yeah. she it's, like it's very function. different than how we see Jane True. ever mm-hmm. dress. And, you know, part of that is, like, she kind of closed up and started dressing and differently. Hoodies, which is yeah. very typical of rape mm-hmm. victims. Exactly. Just, mm-hmm. You know, that whole asking for it situation. Right. I'm sure you're trying to avoid which is all trash, but there you go. <laughs> so, uh, given the heavy themes of this particular episode, I wanted to light it, lighten it up a little bit here at the end. And so we've got some real estate porn. Um, <laughs> I just looked up these houses and where they really are and how much they cost. So Renata's hideous modern mansion is actually in Malibu and worth about $12.4 million. <laughs> a cool 12.4 mil. Oh, easy. Yeah, and apparently, although I couldn't find the other movies that it was in, it's a, a very frequent shooting location for... Well, they um, have to pay for that. Yeah. you got to pay that mortgage somehow. Mm-hmm. So uh, Madeline's basic beach house is in Malibu and, interestingly, is worth... $14.8 million. It's I'm surprised by that. Yeah. Does that come with the beach decor? That's just the little <laughs> yeah. sign that says beach. beach. <laughs> From Marshalls. I know, right? Does that bother what? anyone else? Like, Why is your house decorated like bargain basement clearance rack at TJ Maxx? It's because so basic understand. bitch. It really is It basic. really yeah. is. It's not even like an upscale basic bitch. This is yeah. like a basic middle class bitch with a timeshare vacation yeah. rental. Like, yeah. I don't understand the decor. And the thing that really bothers me is... Ed's standing desk with all the cables exposed. I'm like, this doesn't seem like they don't have a home office. office. Why he doesn't have, have an office. office. Yes. But why, why don't they at least have a in a 14.8 million dollar house? It doesn't make yeah. sense. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that's the, the continuity stuff like that grinds my gears. Mm-hmm. They don't even seem to have a dining room. No, they just have in the islands. Yeah, and when you see the house from the front, it does not look like a beach house. It's no. got like lots of trees around. It looks it. like two different houses. It doesn't houses. make any sense. Um, so Celeste and Perry's house is one of the is the only one that's actually in Monterey, the Monterey area, although it's actually in Carmel, and it's worth a measly $6 million. Wow. Oh. Best bang for your buck. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, Jane's bungalow is in Pasadena and worth $520,000, which 
Wow. Makes it obvious that I'll never be able to own property in California. And that's clearly like, like a one bedroom. Yeah. How does she have that money too? I, you know, she's yeah. freelancing. Well, she's renting. Point. I'm sure, like that, the, mm-hmm. as far as like the plot goes, that it would be that she's like renting that house there. Mm-hmm. Um, which but even still, like, even still, on, that rent would have to be outrageous. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Celeste, when she's trying to move out later in the season, it wants to make sure that her new house is still in so, the Monterey mm-hmm. school system. Right. So it's like Jane is still paying for a piece of property that's in a very valuable mm-hmm. school system. So that's going to hike everything up too. Yeah. So I have yeah. a lot of questions about that. Maybe Jane is like secretly involved in like some sort of cartel or something (laughs) well i kind of felt like jane's parents are sort of helping her oh really i don't know i kind of got the sense because her mom Mm -hmm. like not like they have a ton of not like she comes Mm -hmm. from money but Mm -hmm. that at least she has like some support system to fall back on because like in that first episode her mom calls and i i don't know i just because she's like what like a freelance accountant yeah Yeah. like that that doesn't really seem like she's making Mm -hmm. that much money and she's kind of always like looking around for like extra work and Mm -hmm. you know she's like asking around for accounting work yeah, the economics of this situation don't make any sense. Well, I should have just yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's like, it's like when you were watching Friends, and you're like, yeah. these people cannot afford to live in that apartment. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've been saying that for years about, like, every show ever. Like, nobody affords to live in what they live in on TV. So, Bonnie and Nathan's house, which we haven't actually seen yet in the show, but is my but you do uh, see. other favorite. Yeah. Um, is in Calabasas, which is Kardashian territory, <laughs> and is worth, $2.6 million. Wow. That's, like, yeah. affordable yeah. For, for, for us. I, you know. Yeah. yeah. If okay. all of us were Call a real estate together. agent tomorrow. Yeah. No, but I mean, like, comparatively. Well, to the $14 million? Right. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, and it is it is a nice, it's a nice property. Yeah, it's beautiful. You know? I mean, if all the property we see goes along with it in real life, like. Yeah, that's that, what I wonder. It's a big plot of land. Um, but it's not, it's not a beachfront. No, it's not. Yeah. It's off in the woods with all those cool trees. More of those really cool trees. Yeah. Um, All right. So it's time for our favorite quotes. Mine for this episode is, Madeline is an itty-bitty ball of rage from one of the, from another one of the talking heads. And I think they go on to say something like, and if you want to see her rage filled, call her (laughs) itty-bitty. Yeah. Uh, my favorite is the Renata's, I'll even get Snow White to sit on your husband's face. That's a great, that's, that's great. I wonder (laughs) if Snow White can be paid to perform sexual favors. Uh, for the right price. Not on the Disney ground, I'm sure. Like, you can get her after hours, maybe, like, in one of the hotels. I don't know, but Mm -hmm. I'm sure everything's, every, you can get everything for the right price. Those characters are debauched. I've met some of them in real life. Yeah. Weird stuff is going on. <laughs> Anyone that dresses as a character actor mm-hmm. has got some unresolved yeah. psychological trauma. Oh, for sure. So my favorite was either Renata saying, have I become tragically unfun? Which I really enjoyed. Mm. Or one of the talking heads um, when Renata, in a classic Petty Renata move, gives frozen gift baskets as party favors. She goes, the frozen gift baskets were a deft touch. That was yeah. another one that I really had a nice laugh Those loud. gift baskets for that party... The frozen gift bag. Yeah. Yes. They were like an Easter basket. They were huge. Yeah. Yeah. I never received an Easter basket like no. that in my life. Mm-hmm. Like that was that for our party favor, that was nuts. Um. Um, okay, rapid fire questions. Which kid is the creepiest? Amabella. <laughs> Uh, okay, so my two in this episode, they were in the limo. There was a girl wearing a Princess Anna costume. Yeah. <laughs> You're digging deep for these creepy uh, little kids. I, you know what? Like, because there's only, like, so many times you can pick the same kid. But, like, that kid, for some reason, really, like, creeped me out. And then, um, for this episode, it's also Abby. So, she has this outrageous, messy hair in this episode where there's, like... <laughs> 
she has like the front is like hanging down, but then there's like a top knot and then the rest of it it was just like so ridiculously like I'm gonna be a messy teenager um and then there's this part where she's in the meeting with that the, the teacher at the school and she says to Madeline which I'm sure this is 100% true but she says to Madeline you're grooming me to get up to get to a place you couldn't Oof. and that is just mm-hmm. such a low blow for yeah, a teenager to get yeah um, and she's just like desperately trying to place blame for her grades dropping and wanting to live with what she sees as like the more fun family, I'm mm-hmm. sure, or a place where she can get away with more. Um, I'm like, I see through you, yeah. you little teen nightmare. <laughs> um, I, I was going to say Amabella too. It's always Amabella. That kid freaks me out so bad. Um, who's the worst person in this episode? I'm going with Gordon. Mm. didn't like the way Gordon behaved at the birthday party. I really didn't like when he was resistant. When Renata mm-hmm. finally has this light bulb moment that Amabella needs to be in therapy, Gordon is, like, gross about it and very anti-therapy. So Gordon's my pick for this mm-hmm. episode. Yeah, fair. I mean, he he's... He's gross. Yeah. Uh, but except that I actually picked him as the best in this episode. I'm going to oh. skip ahead. Because he was... <laughs> he was being vaguely reasonable and supportive when Renata came to his office, even though he then, like, turned it into a sexy time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he, and he, he graciously offered that they could fuck in the bathroom yeah. instead of front of the windows. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> True gentleman. <laughs> yeah. No, but, um, I, for the worst in this episode, it was Celeste to me, because mm-hmm. at this point in the series, I'm like, what the fuck with you and this abusive asshole uh, and, and just this, there's this moment where she puts on, he brings her this, like, diamond necklace as an oh, apology yeah. gift. Yeah. And Ew. she, like, puts it on on top of her bruises and then has sex with him <laughs> as he chokes her for going to Disney on ice. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you can't blame a victim, but yet this, to me, she, and then in the next scene, she's, like, lying and clamming up to the therapist and, mm-hmm. like, at this point, like, I am just getting frustrated with her. And wanting her to step up and be this powerful woman mm-hmm. that I know she can. And, and that dickwad Perry is just really, he's like making Celeste the worst to me. I'm going to blame him and not her. Um, my choice for the worst person in this episode was whoever got the erection at the kid's birthday party. I think yes! Yeah. Yeah. I convinced the erection getter was Gordon. Oh, so. well, I think Gordon walks around with an erection like all the time. He he's like one of those guys that I just feel like boner. has a permanent boner. Yeah. Um, so Carolyn already told us who her best well, person was. my, yeah, my best person also, for real though, is like mm-hmm. Madeline, because she yeah. actually shows herself as a really good friend yeah. in this episode. Yeah. She shows up with like a poster board and markers <laughs> when, uh, Jane, you know, needs to get that project done last minute. And then she cries in the car after hearing yeah. this story mm-hmm. about rape. And that's something like, you know, that true friend, like you're standing, you're, when somebody tells you something like that, you are standing there and trying to be supportive and then you leave and all that emotion hits you. Yeah. So for me, this was like a real moment where you saw that Madeline is like, she is actually like that good friend yeah. that you, that, that, that she claims to be and like that people say she is here. Yeah, I picked Madeline, too, uh, for those reasons, and that when Jane was divulging this horrible story, Madeline was really listening. Mm-hmm. You know, usually Madeline's an active talker, mm-hmm. and this is the first time we've really seen Madeline just be quiet and offer support in a nonverbal way, and that, I felt like, was growth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I picked Madeline this week. I apparently picked Bonnie. <laughs> And I wrote here that she's always the bigger person, but I can't remember what happened in this episode <laughs> anymore. That made me think that. Like, she must have said or done something towards Madeline. 
after Madeline was an asshole to her, that made me think that. And I, now I don't know what it was, so I can't back it up. Um, so what's the best song of this episode? So I actually did write down Dreams because mm-hmm. I think I was so emotionally drained in this episode mm-hmm. that in hindsight that was the only little montage that felt happy yeah. and cathartic and like people were just being Fair. normal. Mm-hmm. So I ended up, I really love Harvest Moon and mm-hmm. I have to say I think this episode ruined that song for me when yeah. Harry is, you know, yeah. dancing, slow dancing with Celeste at the end mm-hmm. and playing Neil Young over it. I'm like, Neil Young didn't ask for this. Yeah. <laughs> I said the, it's called September Song, and it's that piano music by Agnes uh, Obel. Um, It's, you hear it here for the first time as Madeline is driving and, like, moping about her daughter, like, not wanting to live with her anymore. Um, And it is also, it's used from this point on throughout the the Mm -hmm. series, and then is used in the final episode, um, that scene where they're all on the beach. And I actually think it's just, like, it's a beautiful piece of music. Beautiful song. um, And I I think it, like, really kind of fits this show a lot. And I like, this is the first time you hear it, so I chose that. Um, I'm no fun. I picked Dreams and or Harvest Moon. So, (laughs) there we go. There you go. Uh, I just was refusing to pick Dreams. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Who, uh, Who do you think this episode wants us to think is dead? I said Celeste because the violence is escalating and mm-hmm. you're starting to see glimmers of her standing up to it. Mm-hmm. And that's always like a bad news bear situation mm-hmm. in abuse. Mm-hmm. So at this point, like I was like, oh, I was getting nervous for Celeste. Yeah, I was back and forth um, with Saxon Banks and Jane, either one feeling the killer killed role just because it's the first time we hear Saxon Banks' name. It's the mm-hmm. first time we learn that uh, Jane was raped. So I, mm-hmm. that to me just seemed like the easy setup. That, yeah, I put the mystery rapist or whoever Jane accidentally shoots because she sleeps with a gun under yeah. her pillow. Could and be has, the mailman. Yeah. yeah. And has hallucinations about um, home invasions. Though so. I have to say, to that point, I did realize partway through this episode that mm-hmm. the gun is clearly not the murder weapon because they right. said from right. the beginning. Mm-hmm. So, like, this gun is, like, Jane can't be the killer with the gun. Jane right. is the killer because she snapped and did something But else. also, mm-hmm. like, with all this violence in schools with kids and kids, oh, like, taking yeah. a gun from home, like, that's, like, never addressed here. Like, Jane mm-hmm. doesn't think, like... Yeah, that's very true. With, like, Ziggy like having a gun like right in the home that like I, I don't know that that is a that is something that concerned me throughout this <laughs> very true um so who do you think they want us to think the killer is in this episode well I said Perry because mm-hmm. I you think felt like Celeste was mm-hmm. in danger I think Perry could technically take killer every single week just because oh his, well yeah, yeah I said Jane just because Jane seems like she's you know Jane, finally Jane's confronting some of this stuff and she's mm-hmm. also got this gun so close to her face yeah I said Jane too I I, I think it's specifically in this episode because she's we see it under her pillow we see her like getting worked up to a point where you think she's about to like shoot through the door at nothing and so it's like how far away is this lady from shooting someone even if it's not who we think it is. Um, so what's the most enviable property in this one? Um, at this point, I, like in this episode, you see it a lot that it's called the Bixby Bridge. It's that mm-hmm. famous bridge oh, there yeah. on Highway mm-hmm. 1. And at this point, like that is like a kind of its own like character in the show. And like there, there's that scene where Madeline is driving. And every time you see that, I just think like that is just such a great view. Imagine that mm-hmm. being like right there, yeah. like in, yeah. your, in your town and driving over that. And also, I think there's, like, something really, uh, like, bridges, like, having to go across a bridge like that, that Mm -hmm. is so, feels so precarious and dangerous, like, if you steered off that bridge and just dropped into a cliff, or, Mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's something, uh, really 
like hauntingly beautiful about that. Mm -hmm. So I said that. Yeah, I'm going to piggyback on that because this is the notes I wrote on this one is none of the properties did it for me. Mm -hmm. Even like Renata's outside, which I usually like because it was so cluttered with children's paraphernalia, mm -hmm. didn't mm -hmm. do it for me. So I think that bridge is gorgeous and there's so many shots. I mean, with the cliffs on either side, the exterior outdoor yeah. shots are always doing it for me more so than the insides of these yeah. concrete or TJ Maxx yeah. decor <laughs> homes. Uh, yeah, I agree. That bridge is amazing and it, it is a... a Along with the music and the everything else, it's a whole other character in the show. Um, and because otherwise I would just keep saying Perry and Renata's house because I love that deck so much. So Perry and Celeste. Perry and Can you Celeste. imagine yes. Perry and Renata oh together? My gosh. Oh that wouldn't last. Well, a day. yeah, he'd be dead a yeah. lot sooner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and with that, that's the end of the episode. Bye. If you or someone you know is a victim of sexual violence, you can get help 24 hours a day by calling 1-800-656-HOPE. If you or someone you know is a victim of sexual violence, you can get help 24 hours a day by calling 1-800-656-HOPE.